Hey guys, welcome to the special episode of The Green Life. Today I'm getting interviewed by a friend of mine, Joanna Verde, who is a long-term vegan, really long-term, and so I'm really honored that she asked about my journey into veganism. So we're gonna talk mostly about the 10 years, the last 10 years where I've been vegan and also how it affected my life, my, my health, and all the things that I've learned along the way, uh, as well as other things, obviously, that make up my reason for being a coach and wanting to help others and studying naturopathy and really just evolving into this health environment that I absolutely find fascinating and that I really hope to make an impact on people that are coming to work with me. So I'm really honored to have this. It was a very, very casual chat. We didn't prepare anything and it was really cool. So I hope you enjoy it. And I also want to let you know that my farm here in Northern Portugal is open for the summer. Ecodarma Village is open for stay and um, for events. And we would love to see you here. So hit me up if you are willing to visit the beautiful side uh, this beautiful side of Portugal, which is the north. Okay, talk to you soon now to the episode. Okay, good morning everyone. So I have here Joana Verde, who is a new friend and wonderful human being, who today is going to interview me, um, as I said in the introduction earlier. So I am really excited because I've never been interviewed before for my podcast. So Joanna, you want to do a little introduction about yourself too, and and then we can just start. <laughs> okay. So uh, my name is Joanna Verdi. I am. Um, I've been a long time vegan. I have been vegan since 1999. I have uh, traveled um, the world as a vegan. I studied in New York City. I was studying acting, and then I. Uh, did a course I, I became a yoga instructor um, I started teaching yoga in the US and then I came back to Portugal and ended up in the software industry took a, a degree in college for um, uh, software engineering and um, yeah and I've met you <laughs> recently and I'm really <laughs> curious about your um, yeah your your journey so I think it's actually worth mentioning that we met through um dr ben benulis who i also had on the web on the on the podcast i yes. feel like the beautiful thing about social media sometimes but also this podcast that has brought me is like these connections with people from all over the world that truly became friends and sometimes i really i have this dream of creating like a village with everybody that i know that is aligned and we just do our own thing <laughs> yeah Ben, I, I met Ben on, um, actually, I talked to him recently, but I have uh, known him uh, for a long time since he was on 30 Bananas a Day back in the day, uh, which was created by Freely the Banana Girl and Durian Ryder. And yeah, and I was also a raw vegan for um, five plus years. And now I'm high raw, but yeah. But anyway, uh, we met through there. So yeah. No, I mean, crazy. I've I met him through there because we only talked recently, like personally. Um, mm. so, so sweetie. He's yeah. great. <laughs> okay, so go ahead so, with yeah. I'm um so how was how was was you were you first in introduced to um the vegan diet basically and uh and what made you so uh 
decided to start a business uh, doing uh, coaching and nutritional coaching and all that? Yeah, I think that's a good question because they kind of happen at the same time, but not necessarily uh, related to each other. So I wanted to become a health coach because I was really trying to fix myself. I, I had eating disorders for basically the best of my life, part, best part of my life up to my 30s. And uh, when I turned 30, I did a blood work, uh, blood test, and I had high cholesterol and also I had high sugar, high glucose. And I really didn't know why, because when I looked at my diet, I was really eating what people were saying was the best way to eat, which was lean meat, so chicken and fish and vegetables. And I was avoiding grains, like, you know, not having much grains, sometimes rice, but not really much. And so basically I was on a low carb diet of animal products. Um, and um, although I knew that I had intolerance to dairy <laughs> because my belly was just not reacting very well, I was still having like yogurt, only yogurt, no milk, but I was having it because I wanted the probiotics because I, I didn't really right. understand at the time that you can get them. Well, the probiotics don't necessarily come from me, from, from milk. Um, there's so many things I was just skewed about because the information at the time wasn't really anyway, very uh, mainstream. And it wasn't in what I, when I studied nutrition the first time I was taught that kind of process, like, you know, proteins are super, super, super important. You can only get full protein from animal products. Otherwise uh, it's incomplete. And then you basically, you know, going to die. Um, and and depending on you know which lecture you have, if you have lectures that are omnivores and they really believe in this low carb diet, that's what they're gonna teach you, right? Yeah. So they're gonna find all the studies that support their point of view. That's why it's really important to really look at things yourself. But anyway, so I I got to thirty, wasn't healthy. I'm like, okay, what am I doing here? Now it's important to say that although I was having this very meticulous diet, I did have binging problems on weekends uh, or. Anytime, like I was having an emotional response to something, I was coping with food. So I was just binging. Sometimes I was um, purging. Sometimes I wasn't. So it was just very, very, very chaotic well, in my body. What year was this? Like, was um, it? Um... This is now. Oh my gosh, I'm so I'm 42. So that was 2010. Okay. Yeah. So 2010. This is, and I didn't straight go into. A coaching learning how to coach but for a year I was just looking at different things and so I was learning a little bit more about holistic living which I always kind of knew because back in 2020 or 2004 2004 um I was seeing a, um, a homeopath in South Africa so I kind of knew about this and then I was seeing a lot of healers in South Africa but when I moved to London in 20 in 2007 I kind of like I had to become very, very logical about stuff because I had to survive in a very, very tough city. I, you know, I, I went into finance, like it was a very different environment. So I really put things to the back, but obviously that wasn't my nature. So things kind of came up again. Now in 2010, when I started not being super well, I was still in banking and I, I've been in bank, I was in banking until 2015. So I didn't move straight out of it, but I was studying my way out of it. So in the 20. 12 I uh so wait, I was, you were living in South Africa and you moved mm, to London yeah and, and that's where where you were dealing with all these uh symptoms. yeah I mean I've been li I've been living with eating disorders forever like in every forever. country I lived in okay. because, wow. so I can go into that a little bit later if you want to know the background but 
basically in 2012, I applied at IIN, so uh, the Institute for Integrative Nutrition, and I started learning a lot about different doctors and uh, integrative medicine, which I never heard, or, you know, um, different kind of things, including the importance of the microbiome. And I was like, oh, you don't have to have yogurt. <laughs> and so I started learning all about this. And um, one of the lectures was, doc was Dr. Neil Barnard, and he was talking about uh, diabetes. And he talked about diabetes in a way that I never heard anybody talk about, which was fat is the issue. And not just any fat, but all fats kind of contribute, but saturated fat yeah. is the worst. And I'm like, okay, I never heard this. And it kind of made sense when you explained it. And so I thought, you know, okay, I don't have anything to lose. Now, this was obviously, I started the, the course in 20, 2012, but it was already 2013 when I heard Dr. Barnard. So in September 2013, I decided to go plant-based. Um, so we, wait, so in the... I, uh, in the Institute, what, mm. what kind of uh, integrative medicine do they teach? Is it like you can go in any direction or? Um, so they don't specific? teach you necessarily about integrative medicine as you are doing it, but you get to see a lot of speakers who are integrative doctors, which is something Modern. I hadn't been exposed to before. Although lo and behold, I actually learned that my GP in London was an integrative doctor, but he couldn't really say he was because he was working for the NHS. But his way of doing things was definitely very integrative. But um, I got to know a lot of these doctors. And so, uh, yeah, when I started, I, I applied, that was tw the end of 2012. So when I learned when I learned from Dr. Barnard, it was 2013, and I straight went into it. But that uh, December, then November, which was a good thing, then November, we had to go to New York to my husband, now husband, but at the time it was my boyfriend, his mom's house for Thanksgiving. And we had been the year before and, you know, we loved it. I had a lot of fun uh, and she made this turkey. And I remember the turkey tasting amazing because it was smoked. So I thought, well, I'm not going to offend her. I know <laughs> I'm not going to offend her and I'm going to eat the turkey, but I'm going to make a lot of salad so I can still have my greens. And, yeah. you know, but because I hadn't had any meat since September or any animal products, the moment I put that piece of turkey in my mouth, I just, I don't know what happened. My, my brain was like, this is flesh. This is a living being's flesh, which I had never made the connection to, which actually makes sense that I was not making that connection because before, would you, anybody told me to go vegan, I would have said, you're crazy. You're crazy, yeah. yeah. That would have been my response, which is why I actually understand when people respond that way or they're like, that's not good for you because I was that person. And, and oh as that God, person... Oh my God, I'm getting all goosebumps. <laughs> it's crazy. Moment, you remember that moment. It's I remember. Horrible. I will remember it forever. I remember the sensation. I remember I didn't want to spit it out because I was at the table, but I truly wanted to throw up it's just like I'm eating a dead thing it's dead like it's flesh and that was it I never touched meat again from then and so um I might have had maybe goat cheese a couple of thank times thank god for that thanksgiving yeah <laughs> you should really be thankful <laughs> I know um yeah that's why I yeah I only I only really am thankful for that it's great um so it's, um, yeah, I might have had goat cheese like twice, maybe between that, like December and May, but in May, actually, 
yeah, I was, we were in India and in India, I just knew that I was just not, I was like, we're not meant to eat this stuff. Like that's not, our body's not meant to eat this. And anyway, you know, I practice yoga and I, I'm talking about being kind and I'm talking about not harming. And so Yahimsa, I'm talking about all these things, but then I was having pain and death on my plate. And, and this is how it all came together. And then at the same time, obviously, I was qualifying as a coach. And then I wanted to restudy nutrition. But that took me a bit of time because, um, well, first of all, financially, you know, uh, I was working in banking and making a huge salary, but I also lived in London. Um, so very huge expenses as well. And we traveled a lot. And I guess that was the priority at the time. Uh, because we didn't have a dog like we got later. We didn't have anything that hold us back. We could just lock up and go, which was great. I, I love that part of my life. But um, yeah, it was all that. And so when when I, and in 2015, 2014, actually, after India, I just knew that I also had to change, I had to leave my job in banking. And so in 2015, February, uh, I, I resigned in January. I, I was cheeky. I first waited for my bonus. <laughs> <laughs> I actually resigned that right yeah. after the day after I was like oh by the way I'm leaving um so and then in February that was my last day at JP Morgan and um I just knew it was the right thing to do and the funny thing is that because I've been practicing yoga moving from this very you know comfortable place very like knowing that my salary was coming in every month to the unknown Yes. was still okay for me I was like you know what a lot of stuff I don't actually need plus in be, before leaving JP Morgan I already had started coaching some people so I already had some clients I was finishing uh, my yoga teacher training uh, right before I left JP Morgan no after I left JP Morgan so I, I finished in uh, April I think of 2015 so I knew I was going to go and teach and um and I just knew it was going to be okay. And thankfully, I mean, I must say, I have to give credit to my to, to Kyle because he still stayed in banking for a little bit longer. He wasn't ready to leave for a couple of years, but he was very supportive. So, you know, I was still contributing, but he was covering the rent. So I didn't mm -hmm. have to worry. And that made a huge difference. I mean, to be fair, I was living, I went to live with him because we were not living together straight away. So he was already paying the rent before. So that wasn't like a change to him that he was paying more for me. But of course, you know, I wasn't contributing as much. Like I wanted to share. But yeah, and he, he was supporting. Yeah, he was, was supporting. he on board like, with the with your like with the changes or yeah, he was on board because um the funny thing is that I, I've always loved cooking. I learned from my grandmother and I just knew how to put flavors together. So the only thing I did is that I took out the animal products, but I substituted everything like chickpeas. We in, in the, we had, a, we were eating sometimes some of the processed things like corn, mm -hmm. um, but nothing really bad, like, you know, super, super processed actually um, in London. Like we, we were on a whole food plant base with like sometimes a couple of things that were not right. whole foods, but um, it was so easy. And uh, he still wasn't fully vegan, and he hadn't, he hasn't, be, he didn't become vegan up to 2017 because he found it really challenging at work to go out for dinners and lunches with his That's colleagues. The case, yeah. Where he didn't have access to food, and he didn't just want to have a little salad. He's a big guy; he needs like proper food. So he was still having cheese and 
and fish. But he did give up a lot of like things like um, the chicken because actually, funny enough, he got sick from chicken in a restaurant, in like a Lebanese restaurant next to his job, uh, his office, a couple of times, and that was bad. The poor guy. And so I, you know, when we look back, it's like yeah, definitely your body was telling you something. But yeah, so it took him a little, took him a little bit of time. And it's funny because at the beginning, when he didn't really want to be hundred percent vegan yet, I had bought some fish for him, and I said, okay, um. I'm, I'll make what you want. So I had made him the steamed cod with vegetables and I was having this beautiful um, courgette salad. So, you know, zucchini, courgette, zucchini salad yeah. um, with like beautiful things in it. Like it was so colorful. And he looked at his plate and he looked at my plate. And you're like, like yes. that was it. I'm like, don't ever make this. I'll have what she's having. <laughs> I'm like, why am I having this? I'm like, because you want fish. I'm giving you fish. He's like, no, no. <laughs> so he, that was funny. I was, we always uh, laugh about it. So that was, I think, where everything kind of shifted. And at home, we were fully plant-based. And then, as, as I said, when he went out for, for like business lunches and dinners, he had to be a little more uh, compromised about it. But as soon as he left banking, he was full-on plant-based. Nice. I, yeah, it's really good when you have a partner that's just fully on board. Yeah. Plus he seems to have been uh, supportive all the way through, even though, even though he wasn't fully doing it. So, yeah, I mean, to be fair, I I think support is extremely important. Um, But I'm the kind of person that I don't really care what anybody says around me. I'm going to do it anyway. So Had he been against it, I'd be like, well, and you cook your food. Well, that's probably one of the things he, <laughs> he loves about you. Maybe. <laughs> so I, I think he was, but probably because I was just so sure I was, what I was doing was right, that he, right. You know, okay, I'm going to do it. Um, but yeah, but I think for a lot of people, support is extremely important. You know, like I never struggled with peer pressure, but like consciously, I would say. Um, I think subconsciously we all do one way or another, mm-hmm. some degree, but I feel like a lot of people do. Like I've seen it. A lot of my clients, sometimes I had clients failing themselves because of family peer pressure. And that was yeah, so the thing is some, some families are not supportive, but they're also not, uh, um, demeaning your efforts, mm-hmm. but some other families are just, uh, actively, working against you trying to uh, push you in the other direction so it's very hard when you're trying like especially if you're very agreeable and you're trying to please everybody and and you're feeling like you have to be in this constant conflict uh in in either you you know please them or you please yourself and and a lot of people end up you know pleasing others plus seeing a family member change especially if it's a big change, I think it's very difficult for people to like family members to be like, this is not you, you know, this is, you're being brainwashed. You're, you know, this is not who you are and uh, um, come back to our side, you know? (laughs) So yeah, it it must be, I, you know, I have a, a lot of empathy for those people because I, yeah, I, I went through it as well, and it's hard. It's really hard. You have to be, be very, um, not only, I don't even know if it's about being strong-minded, but I do think that it's important to be very informed. And um, Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Education is definitely a good tool to have because uh, it's the difference between somebody telling you that you are just following somebody 
that is telling you how to behave and eat, how to eat and what to do and versus you having had the time to actually assimilate the information and integrate them and then be like, actually, I really believe this is, you know, true and this is how I can prove it to you. Um, you know, you're never going to make everybody happy, but I think having the tools to deal with them is very important, which is, um, you know, as you said, if you have a very agreeable personality, which I don't, um, not in a bad way, but like, I'm like, it's tough if you don't. No, but that's it. good. You know, like it's, <laughs> being hyper agreeable uh, is not necessarily, I mean, it is an advantage in some, in some situations, but in this case, it's not. Um, yeah. Yeah, Even and I mean, I don't, Dr. I don't, I don't. Lyle talks about. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. Sorry, I, I was saying I don't, I don't go out there looking for conflict. But you know, as as you said, like I think there are times and places to be agreeable for the peace, and also because maybe our our reactions are not, or you know, they haven't been thought through, and there is maybe some thinking to do about it. So it's like, okay, I'm opening, I'm open to like. Listen to this and actually think about it before I'm gonna say no. Um, but I feel like, um, yeah, as you say, being hyper agreeable, it's a disadvantage because people take advantage, you know, because that's a lack of boundary, um, which is coming yeah. up a lot to people that I that I'm coaching like at the moment. Yeah, that, that's that's the biggest challenge ever, and um, unfortunately, women tend to want to please more, and I think that's. Um, yeah, it's harder. And and so it's very important not only to have a supportive family, but also if you don't have a supportive family, to have a supportive community, yeah. even if you have to build your own community. And Yeah. No, totally. Yeah. Actually, on that point, I, I'll tell you. So since 2013, being on a whole food plant-based diet has been really easy, but... When we moved to Portugal, I did go through a couple of years where I basically was eating vegan food, but not whole food because of stress, because I didn't have a community, because things changed so rapidly. I don't know why exactly, but I did make myself sick. So I had to bring myself back from that. I gave myself type 2 diabetes. Um, I, I I, mean, I was my, my liver was super clogged. I wasn't filtering so, so wait a second mm. can we just go back you were living in the states uh still with Kyle? i wasn't living in the states we were living in the uk london okay yes we we living just in london. yeah and okay so you visit your family we visiting, uh, yeah, your in family the in, in the us yeah but um what made you decide to move uh to portugal yeah so uh, <laughs> um so basically, when I left banking, one of the things that started coming up for me, especially in 2016, was that I really needed nature. I wanted nature. I didn't necessarily think about leaving the UK per se. The UK has a beautiful countryside. I mean, amazing. Um, so I never thought about we're going to go. But likewise, I was also like, it would be nice to be in a place with this most sun, which is actually ironic <laughs> because where we are in Portugal is not <laughs> that it's way. Not sunny side. <laughs> We went to the wrong side of Portugal. Um, and then we wanted to actually also grow our food, which is actually the driver why we are here and not in the South. Um, and basically we had all, I, I kind of really felt like this call to go to nature and get out of the city. I don't know why, but it was really coming up a lot for me. And Kyle didn't want to hear it. That was still 2016. He was still in banking. He had to go through his own journey, like his own personal uh, struggle so 
it was really hard because he was just very fearful. Okay, but yeah, you want to move to the countryside, but how are we going to work? How are we going to make money? You know, right. what's going to happen? And I think for him, it was really overwhelming to think about all these things because, you know, men get very, very often overwhelmed when they have to deal with multitasking, especially if they have to step out of their comfort zone. And comfort especially zone. when there's somebody that in our relationship, he was the one that was making more money. Because I, I, now by then I was making money, but I wasn't making as much as he was making. Like supporting the two of us was harder. Um, so he was like, yeah, where would no? And so I actually, we actually got to a point in 2016 where we thought maybe we would not be together because we just had very different views of the world, you know? Then something personal happened in December and we kind of came to that point. It's like, okay, we either stay together. December 2016? Yes, that's 2016. So like we just stay together and we work on this or it's over and we go our separate ways. Like there was there was no middle way anymore. Thanks. And in and that was actually a good thing that happened because he decided that he really was not going in the right direction and that he was really, he was being called to something bigger uh, spiritually and that he just knew that he wasn't following the right instructions, right? And uh, 2017 went, went really fast because in 2017, early 2017, he left his job. He came with me on a retreat that I hosted in Italy and he loved it. And that for him was, yeah, we definitely need to be in nature. We got married in June. Um, we then got, we came here. Then we started talking to a lot of people. We knew a lot of Portuguese in um, in London. And they all talked beautifully about Portugal. And, and the funny thing is, that it wasn't like the Algarves, because everybody goes to the Algarves. It was more like, you know, the north and more like different places. Because yeah. also, like, if you want to grow your own vegetables, your own food, you need to look at the Douro Valley. You need to look at the north. And we were like, okay, so November 2017, we came here for the first time. And I guess it was really meant to be because nature decided to pull a fast one on us. See, it was 30 degrees, super warm, super sunny. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, this is You're amazing to be here. Bye, yeah. London. <laughs> yeah, and nobody told us this is not normal. <laughs> so, so we we were like, this is amazing. So we came back every month Um to look for a place basically and a couple of times we the, the places we found fell through which is actually a good thing but then I, I kept on coming and in March um, 2018 I found a place and uh, I just knew this was it in a way I mean to be fair I love the place that we have it's a bit big for, for us too but I, I love the place that we have I just didn't know the area enough I would have gone a little bit more isolated than we are um not nothing against the neighbors it's just that um you know i think i'm now realizing or now but i've been realizing that it's really hard to deal with people that you know easily kill animals and it's a bit too much when you see it got it yeah. so I, I struggle and then of course the traffic and how people don't care about how they drive and uh it's a bit too much um it's not even like a populated area but in summer it's intense so um yeah i just knew this place was really what we were thinking um, and portugal made sense because it was only like two hours from flight to london same yes. time zone so we're like you know what it's easy let's do it um and this is why uh, portugal happened really 
Wonderful. And uh, are you still, you're, both of you are out of the, uh, um, like, Banking? financial industry? Yeah. No, I, I am. My husband is still in, uh, in bank, not banking anymore, but he's in asset management. Uh, so wealth yeah. management. So the, he, he works for a company that is uh, based in uh, Luxembourg. And in a way, you know, again, everything can seem happening and it's like it was tragic, you know, the pandemic, but the pandemic has shifted a lot of things yeah. and made them convenient for people that actually say, you know, we can work from anywhere in the world. And remotely, it's, yeah. yeah remote, remote work changed. Remote work changed and it's become so much easier. So he's really benefiting from it. And uh, he only has to travel when he has meetings. Um, and so it's easy because he can be here. You know, we see each other all the time, which is nice because when we lived in London, yeah, we lived together, but really, unless we made time to spend time together, we really, yeah, yeah we, it's, it was a struggle. We're all busy all the time. And so this has been really nice. And, uh, you know, between calls, it can be in the garden working on something or just playing with Scooby and the other dogs. And so it's, it's nice that we have that. It's been a blessing. What um, a journey. Yeah. So, but, but it's cool. I mean, we, we, I would definitely live in, in a very tropical place now, uh, but, uh, versus here, but actually, you know, um, we had very good weather lately. So that, that, that makes a difference. I think for me, the challenge is definitely the winters. The winter. But, yeah. Yeah. It gets really cold in there. You know, the cold doesn't bother me. It's the wetness. It's the, the wet, yeah. and the, and the humidity that my body actually physically gets into pain. And so I could not even imagine if I hadn't made myself healthy again. And if I was eating animal products, I don't even know how I would feel living here. I don't think I'll make it <laughs> really. So um, has your um, vegan diet or your health uh, changed? Because uh, you said you were on a crisis when you first arrived in Portugal. Yeah. On a health crisis. Yeah. So um, I'll take you between London and, and Portugal a little bit because the mm -hmm. crisis kind of started between the two. Obviously, I was coming here every month, uh, first to find the property and then to organize for the workers that would work here. The language has been a challenge because I didn't speak Portuguese, not that I speak now, but I didn't understand as much. And, um, and you know, that is a very, Port I, I, I hope I'm not offending any Portuguese or not you anyway, but I, you know, there's this macho, macho behavior from men. Like if you're a woman, they just think you don't understand anything. Yeah, and it's a culture shock, isn't it? Yeah. I came from the US to Portugal and I was like, it's just, uh, yeah, it, it takes a little bit getting used to. And I, yeah, and really I don't think I'll ever get used to it because, yeah, that, but now, awesome. now I actually really call them out. I call them out. I'm just like, I don't even care. But at the time I just wasn't expecting a lot of things. And I didn't realize that if you're nice, you know, I was nice. Like the, first of all, they lie a lot here, up here where we are. I'm not going to say all Portugal because actually I've met, I've been, you know, other places in Portugal and people have been amazing, um, honest, helpful, but where we are, I don't know what it is. It's like the twilight zone sometimes. Anyway, so the a lot of lies and this builder, it wasn't a builder, it was an engineer who was hiring builders, but he said he had a building company. So there was a lot of lies anyway that you find out later. But he was, you know, I realized later, like if I was polite to him or nice to him, like smiling at him, he would think that it was okay to be inappropriate. So it was really like uncomfortable sometimes, like, what the, you know, 
But I always kept it very diplomatic. Yeah, because construction industry is known for a little bit of, uh, yeah. I don't know about sexual harassment, but at least uh, they're, at least they're very well known for giving you deadlines that are never ever met. So. Oh yeah, and that that aside, um, that aside, I mean the deadlines you actually did meet, uh, but the work, the work was horrible. But no, it was more the inappropriate behavior, and not so much. He never. I mean, it's not. There was nothing that would have caused me to call the police or something like that. But mm-hmm. just you know, when somebody just. I don't know that you just know they are inappropriate and and so uh you know you have to deal with this character and then uh the lies and then you find out stuff like you lied about paperwork for the house i mean so that was that ended 2018 very stressfully that when he finished the job he didn't finish everything but we were just like so over it and basically 2019 when we were going to come here and open also because we created this place to have retreats to open for the retreat, that wasn't possible. We had a couple, but very small. We couldn't book everybody. And I spent a lot of 2019 having to deal with paperwork and going to court and uh, just a lot of stuff. So it was stressful. Then I, in London, I was working, I was basically managing the, the yoga for this uh, very, very posh studio in uh, Notting Hill mm-hmm. where we lived and um, loved the people really love teaching there i mean the sunday morning classes you know 30 people beautiful space like it's just an amazing space but i did work for a woman that you know i respected for a lot of things because she was amazing like to open 10 studios in london she was amazing but she also is on a she has to heal a lot of stuff and her her problems like her struggles project on others and especially when you work for someone that is like that because you end up working with somebody that you never know where you stand that you have conversations with them then they do or say something that makes it sound like the conversation never happened very unsettling and when I told her that I was moving here and it wasn't going to be up and down anymore that I had to be here because of all the difficulties that we found I was kind of almost discarded like okay well I don't need you anymore bye like so I felt like, wow, the whole, <laughs> she didn't care. My peers, who I really thought were also my friends, you know, these yoga teachers, they didn't need me anymore. I wasn't the one that give, was giving them a job anymore. So they didn't really sh- give a shit, basically. I was just very disappointed with people's behavior because I would have never done that. But it was a lesson and I'm glad it happened because actually it did through the pain after it did teach me so much. But um, at the time, you know, between the stress here, the stress in London, feeling so chained and so unable to speak truth or to be aligned or to be having support. I just was all over the place. So when we came here, I really didn't care about what I was eating. I was just eating, you know, like the BioLife cheese, which is full of coconut oil or whatever, uh, pasta. Like I was just eating these amazing, you know, yummy yeah, food, but it wasn't whole foods, right? Like I remember I don't, I didn't have a salad for like two years, probably, you know, a year and a half. I don't know, actually a year and a half, like 2018 to the end of 2019. And then 2020 happened and... I know a lot of people hated this lockdown, but for me, it was actually a blessing because it allowed me to stop stressing and stopped worrying and actually look within and like, I am making myself sick. 
it took a bit of time because I only really started healing my body at the end of 2020. Like that's really when I kind of put it all together because 2020 was also a little stressful. My sister came here from the UK. You know, family is very hard. My family is very hard. And uh, to deal with hard in what way? Like that we uh, it's it's very messed up in a way because my parents were divorced and they uh, I probably have to take you back for that one. But um, the relationships in my family are not always healthy. Okay, and so that the, the relationship my sister and I have is not always healthy, and um, and so having her here. Oh my god, a, a lot of unsettling. Um... Situations all happening at once. All at once. I was not even joking. Like when I said stressful, I meant stressful. Like I had adrenal exhaustion. I couldn't get out of bed in the morning without coffee. Like there was no way. Um, So everything was happening at once. So when it got to the end of 2020, after having had a bit of time out, like, you know, we're not driving anywhere. We don't have to go anywhere. There's no pressure to be anywhere, no pressure to be anyone. I really started realizing what I'd done to my body. I was just like, oh, okay, that's not good. And then early 2021, I went to see a um, holistic doctor that I met. Um, I went to his clinic. We did some work. And yeah, he said, you know, you're not in very good shape. Um, so my blood, like I was nutrient deficient, just like to be expected, um, stressed that you could see it. Um, and heavy metals, parasites, I mean, you name it. So I, I, I basically decided there and that I was going to just be looking after myself again. And I created a community online because obviously here where I am, I'm not going to get the community I need. People are not mm-hmm. informed, not educated enough. Uh, there's a vegan movement in Portugal, which is brilliant that I love that I see. And I, to be honest, Lisbon has so many amazing plant-based food restaurants now. It's I know. better than London. It's all it's always had because I moved to Lisbon when I in 1999 and I lived in Lisbon until 2004 and even back then all of my friends were vegan so hmm. yeah it's always been yeah it's always the restaurant wise I mean because we were we were in Lisbon in 2014 and we we found one restaurant that had amazing vegetarian with vegan option we didn't well, find maybe if you if you search for macrobiotic, you would find a lot. Yes, yes, and I think that's I how the vegan movement started in Portugal. Yeah. It wasn't through vegans, uh, uh, yeah. so to speak, but it was more through the macrobiotic, macrobiotic. and and um, Francisco Vart- Francisco Varatojo, which founded the uh, Instituto Macrobiotico de Portugal, which is okay. In- Portuguese Institute for Microbiotics. Yeah, that makes sense that you're saying that makes sense. And actually, I was going to go there from what I was saying, like there's a big movement here and a lot of people are microbiotics. Now, microbiotics has got its place. I appreciate it. And I think it's a great entryway. I don't Mm -hmm. necessarily think it is conducive to the best vitality. It's everything is too overcooked. Everything is very very overcooked and heavy heavy in soy and it's like okay and heavy sugar that's, actually uh, that's true but i also i gotta give credit to them because i i i, I was actually working uh, volunteering at the macrobiotic institute back mm-hmm. back then and that's where i learned most of my um anyway I, i'll tell you that another another day but uh they wanted to bring freshness to the macrobiotic mm. diet because 
I'd have to go into all the philosophy of microbiotics and it, how it's based in yin and yang. But basically, Francisco analyzed uh, modern environment and, and how society lives nowadays and realized that we do need a lot more. The diet, the original microbiotic diet was made for uh, a situation back in Japan where people were living in rural areas. and. Yeah. And you know, needed had different needs. And nowadays, we live in cities, and life is much more stressful. And and so he created a diet that brings a lot more uh, freshness right. to it. And um, so sometimes yeah. it gets lost, and I think it's because it's cheaper, obviously, to cook things. And of course, it's mostly about the grains. So I get understand. Yeah, it's part. still very, it's still very uh, grain centered and very much cooked uh and i i agree with you um that's also why i uh left microbiotics although i still have some reverence to the you know the the, the job that they've made and yeah what they've done to the you know the the community they've created and yeah it's really remarkable no totally and i'm not pooing on it at all i, I think it's no, a, it's I a know. great entryway it's a great entryway like i really am respected and everything that brings it closer to whole foods anyway to me is a great exactly. step right you don't have to be fully raw like it's you're eating whole foods because it's, they still focus on whole foods which is great um but yeah so there wasn't a community here so i had to create one so i ended up creating a community online and following a couple of um, channels on YouTube, I'm, I'm gonna say God bless YouTube, but not really. But for sometimes it's really helpful, <laughs> even though they put me in a YouTube jail at the moment. It's nice that they that are channels that are very helpful. Now, of course, they can be really confusing if you have zero idea what you're looking for, but it's great when you know already kind of what you're looking for, and then getting information of course bias has to do with it but it's also it, things that are true resonate when you when you hear them and so a couple of channels i started following and i started following even uh, chris work who actually interviewed uh, for the last episode and you know he talks about healing from cancer and i didn't have cancer but i did have actually fibrotic cysts in my breast um i have a tendency to it so i'm still healing that um but I thought, you know, this is the way you heal your body as a whole. I mean, cancer, everybody's afraid of that word, but really does mean abnormal cells. And abnormal cells live in an environment that is acidic. So I definitely was in full acidosis. I had um, a very clogged, uh, you know, purification system. On my, like my, my, my kidneys, my liver, my legs looked like blobs, like literally like pillars, but they were filled with like fluid. They didn't mm -hmm. even have a shape. They were just like... And my belly was retaining a lot of fat. I never had um, body fat, like belly fat as much. Um, I'm, I'm a little bit bottom heavy in comparison to my top, but I was never, that was really like something when I looked in the mirror, I'm like, wow, I definitely have been avoiding mirrors for like a couple of years. <laughs> Who's this? Um, but the truth, the, the, the shock was good because I found all that and then I found all these kind of communities and I started just going back on track and just eliminating the things that I had to eliminate. Then I found out I had diabetes. So I'm I'm like, well, I know that this is really self-inflicted, so it's going to go away. And within a year, I reversed it. But I, oh, so I started, I started doing exactly what, you know, the tin says, like low fat, high fiber, high carbs diet. Um, and, uh, and just eating with the aim to heal my body. 
Oh boy, I'm sorry about that. All the dogs are going um, with the aim of healing my body, which is um, which is so important. And so, lo and behold, that was now 2021, and now we're in 2023. Definitely such a change. And last year, it really became important for me to to start um, this podcast because I just thought. I want to connect to people. I want to be able to speak to amazing people that are doing great things in the world and that can teach. And maybe this podcast can become that for people. So I didn't have any intention to make money out of it or make it become like anything. You know, it's not for fame. It's just because I truly, it's part of my healing journey. And yeah, and it's part of my healing journey. Like when I speak to people that remind me what they are, what, what their journey was and how they got there, you know, it's inspiring. It's like, it's a reminder that no matter what we do, we can always come back and heal. And then, you know, it's funny because I started interviewing a lot of doctors that talk about the plant-based food diet. So it's very like practical stuff and they doctors. But then I started interviewing more and more people that have personal stories and their journeys. And there's the spiritual component, which has been really important for me. And that's funny enough, with the more raw food I have, the more the spirituality just rises to the top. Because... um that I don't know, there's a connection that you make to your source, you know, and I really believe in frequencies. And I think the creator is the highest frequency and he created everything that we are meant to have because he wants us to have his frequency. He created everything to feed us to have that frequency. So of course, when we overcook food and when we kill things, that's not going to have the frequency he wants us to have. So we can't have that spiritual connection. Then you go back and eat the food that were meant for us. And you're like, wow, okay. This is amazing. And I really can see why people, some people say, especially the true, the fruit, the fruit, like, because there is something about fruit and coming from trees, I don't know, and bushes that. Yeah, even, even Dr. Michael Greger has a video saying that we are fruitivores, you know, like it's, uh, it's the ideal uh, food for humans. It's just that we can digest everything else, but mm. uh, yeah, I, n- I never saw that one from Dr. Gregor, I must say. Uh, the I heard it from a couple of people, but then I definitely heard it from Dr. Morris, Robert Morris, who I, you and I talked about him. Um, well, I'll cons- I can send you the link and, and you can... Yeah, it. that would be nice. And I can put it also at the bottom of the show. But yeah, I just, I, I love Dr. Morris. I, he's got a way of going into other dimensions that I just like, yes! <laughs> So, so basically that. now you're fully raw. I'm not fully raw. I'm high raw like you. I'm uh, mostly raw till four. I Some days I just have raw. I don't think about it. I just do. Um, yeah. But uh, sometimes if I feel like having a sweet potato or I feel like, you know, I, I sometimes feel like having tofu. I really, I'm like, I feel like having tofu. I'm going to have it. I try not to deprive myself. And this is because I realized that even on a raw diet, because of my history with eating disorders, I can go back there and I don't want to because yeah. once I go into that restriction mode, I go into full on control. And then the moment I step out of that control, uh, whole whole health breaks loose. Like I just become paranoid about the food and then my body and oh, I'm putting away it and uh, it's too stressful. <laughs> no, and I, I also want to say to that point that um even though raw, you know, seems to be um, healthier, I don't know if there's data, you know, suggesting that. I know science is not everything, but 
the fact that there's no data suggesting that a raw food diet is any superior to, you know, a whole food plant-based diet. So don't stress the, the small, you know, things, because in the end, I think that um, stressing about food is even uh, less healthy than, you know, just going for it with your, you know, listening to your body. And, and yeah. as long as you're not eating, you know, like you said, processed uh, stuff, which is not necessarily going to, unless it's once in a while, I don't think it's going to benefit you in any way. But other than that, you know, sweet potatoes are extremely um, healthy food. So I don't. No, yeah, exactly. Um, data wise, I mean, I think it depends. Like if you look at the vibration of the food, the raw food has more vibration, higher vibration. So you can see the, in brackets, aura of the food. Mm -hmm. um there are pictures of that which is nice nice scans that show you the aura of these foods so definitely raw has more of that but i also think we have to understand where people come from because i mean most of most of pe most people have a very poor enzymatic action in their body because of the cooked food they have forever processed food they had forever so they cannot break down the raw food so they need to start with cooked food otherwise it's digestive hell and so you need to work yourself up to it. Now, when yeah, it comes to food, because the microbiome is not adapted to exactly. you know, a lot of fiber and a lot yeah. of the water-based um, Food. foods, right? Yeah. So it's going to be, it's going to cause trouble in, the, in yeah. the beginning. But I think it's, yeah, it, it depends on the person. Some people yeah. just go, you know, cold turkey and it, they suffer for a while and then they, you know, adjust. adjust. But, yeah, but most people don't like that. And so they will, if they have these problems, they will blame the diet instead of saying, actually, it's my... And go back diet. to the... To the yeah. Yeah. yeah, so which is why this carnivore thing is even taken off because people just give up on the fact that they have to adjust their microbiome to having... Yeah, but I wonder, like... like <laughs> don't, don't, doesn't the microbiome also have to adapt to a carno a fully carnivore diet? I mean, that's so, so yeah, that's a good question. That's a good question. So the the answer to that, that I think is the simplest answer, and maybe not be complete, but I think it will target what you're saying. What people are normally generally thinking about when they ask this question, the vari the the variety of microbiome. The, so the variety of um, microbiota. So the 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 bugs, basically the bacteria in our gut um that will probably they will definitely adjust to the meat that you're having but because you know you, you're not gonna have the variety of microbiome that you would have with plants because the food for the microbiome is the fiber and the thing is people that have dysbiosis and they have a very poor microbiome they don't have fiber much and so the microbiome doesn't, the, the bacteria doesn't work at breaking down the fiber so they don't get the gas as much and they don't get the bloating as much initially. Okay, so oh, initially. Sure, but come on, they must have constipation. If there's no fibers, there's no. Yeah, I mean, they eat some fiber, not much. But the thing is that the body wants to eliminate. So I think at the beginning, what happens is that the body tries to adjust and eliminate. That doesn't necessarily mean that that diet is good for them. And this is the major problem with this diet, the carnivore diet, that short term, it might alleviate issues that are oh, causing constipation and are causing bloating and gassing, whatever. And so they feel people feel better and they feel like they are doing better. They're Just really like yeah. Well, like they say, any diet works. Uh, yeah, if you're going away from junk, right? <laughs> exactly. Right. So... 
but then long term that diet doesn't have any data however i can actually predict the data will be shocking when it comes out because that's just not a human diet you know it never comes out because if it came out i don't know you know there's a lot of industry (laughs) of course yeah yeah of course everybody but you know you have to know how to read uh studies right if they are sponsored by someone that has interest then you probably should question the thing is people don't know how to read studies most of the time and so and they don't bother because you know they heard it on tv or they heard paul saladino talk about it well it's also very confusing because unless you have the the chops to keep going and reading the studies it you know not everybody has that patients or you know yeah. the way the studies are presented is also not uh, as appealing and as compelling as short youtube videos or some person on on the internet telling you that this is the way you know and yeah. i've like i've seen the results my people have seen the results so how can you you know um you have to balance it out and the 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 way the information is presented it, makes a huge difference, especially if you don't know how to interpret a, a, studies. a scientific study. So, yeah, no, totally. And I, I you know, and, that, and that's the tra- that's that, that's the trouble. I feel like it, it can be helpful to have these channels that are presenting things short and nice and straight to the point. But then a lot of people can use it to their advantage, which is a lot of the carnivore movements doing when they talk about cholesterol and they talk about other things. So that's that's unfortunately i do think that a lot of them believe in what they're they're talking about so they're not doing it you know as um i don't think they're doing it to to you know bring people's health down and i think they actually believe in what they're talking about you know maybe maybe i honestly don't even know i mean these days i never want to give a judgment and i'm not talking about we're not talking about the normal people that are following because i really I have read the messages of some of them. They truly are desperate and they do want to feel better. And when they start this, they like, I feel better. And and we're just talking about why. So I don't even judge them. I'm like, yeah, I can understand why you're there. I am pointing, I guess, the arrow at the the, the celebrity, uh, Instagram celebrity or social celebrity people that are making a lot of money out of this movement, you know? Yeah. I'm talking about them because I'm like, you hold the responsibility. I don't know if you believe in what you're saying. Maybe you do. But at the same time, you the cherry picking of some studies to suit your agenda instead of looking at the whole picture. And you know what they do sometimes? They they go like, oh, this the 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 you know the, the vegetable oils in this is bad for you. The vegetable oils that you're talking about, I, I'm not a fan of vegetable oils. Perfect like you know honestly now what does the science say the science actually doesn't say they are inflammatory fairly fine enough the studies don't say that i personally don't think they're good for us because they're processed and because do we need them no we don't exactly so why would you have them but when these guys talk about it they're pointing at these processed foods full of that stuff you know what, no matter what diet you're on, that processed food full of that stuff, yeah, it's bad for you. But it's not just the seed oil. It's the the, the high fructose corn syrup is some E number that people don't know what it stands for. Like, you know, it's a whole lot of stuff. And so... Yeah, the, the oil is the minor offender. Uh, like there's Sometimes, hydrogenated yes. fats. There's, you know... Yeah, that's worse. And margarine, know, like margarine's vegan yeah it's a heart attack in a box yeah that's what it is and it's vegan you're right and this is why it's really important to point out that 
a vegan diet doesn't necessarily stand for a healthy diet. But, you know, when these celebrity social media play people talk about carnivore versus these vegan diets, they always point at the bad vegan diets. And so that's not fair because that's not what we stand yeah, for. Uh, unfortunately, I do think that the, the term vegan has, it's a little bit, um, maybe we should use more of the term uh, whole plant food based yeah. diet because... You know, yeah, it's I, clearer. Yeah, it's much clearer because I, it, I guess it, for me the lifestyle though of the vegan lifestyle and the food they go together. You know, and and the thing is that veganism stand out of the lifestyle, not harming animals, and not necessarily what you, they don't you don't really care not but necessarily what you're putting in your plate other than not being animal products and then caring for animal welfare. So not buying leather, not buying, um, you know, fur. And and for me, the two marry, you know, the whole food plant-based diet and the vegan diet and the vegan activism, the vegan philosophy, they do marry. Because I also always tell vegans, we are just as important as the animals, though. And also, also, if you get sick, which you can on a whole food, on a, on a vegan diet versus a whole food plant-based diet, you're going to have to take medication. Medication is tested on animals and you're not going to change that because yeah. the laws are like, you know, it's unethical to test on humans. So you have to test on animals, which is also unethical. So you want to be healthy because otherwise you're still contributing to an industry that is cruel. You know, we are on planet Earth. It's never going to be perfect up here, uh, down here. Never. So, but you have to do your best to do what you can. So you're contributing to to it to this planet and the people and the beings living on this planet including nature the best way you can right and i do think that a lot of people who uh end up adopting a, a plant-based diet um somehow even if they don't they're not vegan at first somehow uh you know the the memo uh drops yeah. something happens and and people transform themselves the other way around is also common but it uh, it takes probably longer. I don't know. I think so. I think that's the case. You're right. And if you adopt a vegan diet, you don't necessarily, unless you get informed, uh, you don't necessarily become whole food plant based right away. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, you know, yeah, however, I, I do think you. that nowadays, and uh, luckily, they're much more, it's much more common for people to associate the, the two as, a, as yeah. one. Yeah. yeah, for better or for worse sometimes, but I definitely hope that we get for the better because as you said, rightfully, you know, and especially because I went plant-based for health, the veganism came after, but it came very quickly, mm -hmm. actually, because again, from the moment it was like, it's flashing my mouth to actually, I love animals. I love all animals, not just dogs and cats, not just birds, like, hmm. And you started looking at things differently. And actually living here has probably amplified that because, you know, I look out of my window and I see cows. I look on the left and I see sheep and chickens. And, you know, all I want to do is save them all, which I can't because, you know, you can only do so much. But, wow. It's You're like, doing your part. So, yeah. And I wish and I'm trying. I've been trying to educate people. And I, I, I get why the vegan activists get angry <laughs> i really understand it <laughs> but it it doesn't it doesn't solve anything i think i lost only my my shit once 
um, not long ago when I saw, basically I have a neighbor who has sheep and, you know, she really doesn't need them. She has a job and she could keep a couple just to mow the uh, lawn because I think, yeah, they are amazing at keeping everything in balance, but mm-hmm. she just wants to make money out of them. And so you see these babies being born and, you know, they grow up to be teenagers and then somebody comes with a, a, a car and picks them up. And I witnessed the timing wouldn't, couldn't have been worse. I came and this couple was carrying the sheep upside down and she, uh, he or she, I'm not sure, looked so lost. And it was the end of the day. So the sheep had probably had, definitely had all day in, in the field playing with her friends, unknowingly knowing that at night she'd be taken away. And when I saw it, I just lost it. I went to her and I, I, I just said, I yelled at her. Not yell as in telling her bad things, but I'm like, why are you doing this? And I could see that she didn't understand what, like, why I was upset. Does she, were you speaking Portuguese? Does she speak English? I was speaking Portuguese-ish. <laughs> uh, she, she, we, we obviously know each other for a while, so she understands what I'm saying. She talks, she speaks my Portuguese. Um, yes. So, yeah, she understood what I was saying, but to her, it's like, but I can't keep them all. And I'm like, then why do you have them? Don't have them. You don't need them. But at least keep a couple and, you know, new to them. And then you don't, they don't have babies and you don't have to give them away because they don't become too many. I get that. But, but I was so angry and so upset and all because I felt everything the sheep was feeling. And I got so, it was horrifying. It was so horrifying. And so, you know, the, the vegan activism definitely came and, and I probably feel it more now. And I know you cannot change people. I know there will always be people that don't care and believe me. And I know that the cultural stuff is hard to break. I can see it even with the fact that we are rescuing so many dogs and that I'm trying to see if who's, I should open. Who is selling the, the sheep to? To Do people you know? that, yeah, to other, other people locally. They come and pick them with these... Um, you know they have those uh yeah i know the trucks but i wonder yeah, the trucks, uh, what's going to happen to them i don't know i i they don't look like the commercial ones that go to the slaughterhouse okay. like a cafe meat you know commercial but they they go to the same place to the butcher so it's uh yeah it's heartbreaking and and i just uh, that's probably the only time and so you know i always have to have these reality checks being like, I I have to do activism through education because if I do activism the way that we can do it, just like breaking things and breaking the, the animals yeah, free, it's also legal. And so it's like, ugh, you can't win and, and you're not going to change the culture. And in I fact, don't think, well, I don't think you can respond to violence with violence. Exactly. It's not, it's not helpful. It's not conducive to anything. Uh, and it's not about violence. I mean, I wouldn't want to, I mean, you know, no, you know, but you know what I mean? Yeah, it's like yeah. trying to go against it forcefully. Yeah, forcefully. Gonna... Yeah. So that's the hardest part, I feel like. But, and and you're right. I think a lot of us that go into it from plant-based would probably go more vegan easier than the other way around because a lot of the vegans I spoke to, because they're doing something amazing for the animals, they, they're they not necessarily interested in the health. And if they're younger, if they're younger, that's even more yeah. the case, right? Because they're like... I'm young. I'm from Vine. I have all this energy. I can eat chips and a veggie burger and a veggie pizza. And hey, I'm all good. Yeah, you're now all good. <laughs> Later, we'll talk. Yeah, um, but 
at least they're doing you know it's a step in the right direction and yeah um, and there's a they have a lifetime ahead of them and like you yeah. said you you people recover from incredible mm-hmm. stuff so yeah 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 exactly so yeah so this is the whole basically journey up here and um and how we came to portugal and how the soul develops here and how I, being here really has like taken me through so many lifetimes. I feel like I lived 50 lives already. If we've been mm-hmm. only here for four years now, it will in May, it will be four years. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, okay, everybody probably feels like two years have been stripped out of their life. Yes. Um, so it's like, hmm? <laughs> what? It's only been two years. It's been four. Um, but yeah, but in a way it also feels like I've been through 50 uh, cycles because so much has happened, you know, and um, coming back, not only food wise, but also, you know, uh, practicing yoga again for myself and being doing meditation again, which I lost the practice of and breathing properly and not stressing and forgiving so many things that had to be done. Um, and, you know, it's all still a working process. It progress is never, I don't think it's ever, ever done fully. Um, but I definitely, yeah, I definitely can look back in 2021 to now, big difference. Wow. It's amazing how how much you've changed your life. Not only you've changed countries, you've changed diet, you've changed jobs, you've changed everything. Yeah. And your daily life as well, Every what you do on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. So what do you, like, what is a day in your life like right no. now? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I try I, I I was in a very good habit of getting up at six o'clock in the morning but you know when they change the time and everything gets darker it's a bit harder so as it gets lighter it'll be easier but I like to get up really early because I do like that stillness because I've noticed that mm-hmm. even if I if I get up at seven the dogs are like excited and it's, if I get up earlier they're still in that nice energy of sleep and yeah. so I can get to do my meditation I can get to do my my practice i i started with every morning with a big tall glass of water with lemon and then i organized the the food for all the dogs so that i can feed them as soon as they are fully awake um then i basically i have to take care of things here to be honest like i have to there's a lot of cleaning to do being on a farm and so organizing things and we have a lot of dogs because that's the thing like the, we how many dogs do you have seven right now seven wow and three cats um one we just found and we're looking for a home for her uh daisy she's a puppy she's four or five months old very young um she's adorable but she needs so much so much attention because she's a she's a mix of podango and uh, terrier mm-hmm. and she is super smart well like a terrier really smart but she has a podango, love me, love me, love me, kiss me. Yeah. <laughs> so dogs like her, I had an experience with one before that my sister actually took. They they're they they're okay in groups as in like they like playing, but they are really attention seekers. And so they their brain fires or backfires, I should say, when they don't get that full attention. So I really need to find a family that can love her because she will give love and she will be the most amazing dog. And she will be calmer if she gets the full attention. She's super smart. Like I already managed to, you know, teach her how to sit and not she doesn't do anything inside the house. She she's amazing. So 
you know, uh, looking after them, we are rescuing dogs all the time. So there's a lot of stuff that I have to do in the morning because obviously we Take don't want a mess. Yeah. And also I'm allergic to like dust. And so I had to really, um, I have to take care of everything. And then it's just about prepping for the day. So I do some work and then breakfast, which normally is a mono meal. So I have like a million bananas um, mm -hmm. and, and tea. And then I just uh, work and, and then studying still. So I have to find the time for that and um, interviews for the podcast. So it really depends on the day. And then I normally just really eat twice. Maybe I have a snack in between like a smoothie, but I really have two meals like so the mono meal of fruit in the morning and then I'll have a massive salad, salad later and I aim to have those things by four or five o'clock because I then don't eat late and I can have my intermittent, intermittent fasting so yes. that's kind of the, the routine I mean the food honestly the food is not even like the focus anymore which is nice like I just do a million things but I do have to prepare for my husband because it's not fully raw because or high raw because it takes him like a million years to chew a salad. Like he, he just takes forever. He literally has to put time aside to eat if I put a salad in front of him. I'm really quick. Like he's, I mean, not quick is not essential, necessarily a good thing. Yes, but no, I, can, I know what you mean. But... but I don't take like 10 hours to eat a salad. He does. And I'm like, okay, well, you're going to have raw food. No, you're not going to have raw food. Um, I get it. So, so yeah, this is kind of the day. And then prepping things and organizing. And I have some clients that I still see and, um trying to start the inner uh circle so online group coaching which i feel like is much better because the aim is to really educate people about stuff and then i have some things that are happening at the retreat here the summer which is supper clubs um so i'm gonna do these supper clubs like uh but kind of learning how to prepare and then have food together so people can learn how to make all food plant-based food um meals then um, I have retreats, very short, like weekend retreats that are aimed at the Portuguese because I think a lot of, that's other thing that really, I guess I never thought about before coming here. You know, Portugal has always had this, uh, this kind of uh, reputation of being cheap in brackets in comparison to other mm. countries, which we know now is not the case anymore. But I never realized that, yeah, the country was affordable and they were, you know, doing all these incentivize incentivizing people to come and invest here and live here but the portuguese really don't earn anything in it's comparison very, very very difficult yeah so hard and so you know even if i want to do so if i want to do things here i really need to think about how can i serve people that want to learn people that want to do something different people that want to escape for the weekend but can actually afford it without and knowing that i cannot charge the prices that you can you know normally charge i have a retreat that is luxury that is coming in may but that's not here it's at um my friend's hotel and it's mostly targeted at foreigners because you know realistically the portuguese cannot afford it but it's also um but the ones here it's really all about down to earth you know staying in domes so it's camping but with luxury a little bit of luxury uh being able to be outdoors doing some activities whole food plant-based diet of course and try to like offer people the opportunity to learn a little bit more about the lifestyle and the food and love it or even if they are vegan and they don't find a lot of places that are that way inclined to if be you want vegan. i can help you with some of that because i mm -hmm. i have some experience when i was working with the uh, volunteering at the macrobiotic institute we organized uh summer um Make, like retreats uh, in the Algarve and we did a lot of the activities and 
yeah, yeah. So, and nice. also with my background in you know like uh, raw food i love to you know help spread the word <laughs> the word sure sure well we'll definitely chat offline about this then yes so yeah so this is what i'm really trying to do uh for the summer and you know and every day is really all about doing the thing like task oriented for things that have to be done but it's also trying to find the time to be more inspired and you know trying to construct create something um there are a lot of projects that i really want to do but they're still in the back burner like you know publishing another book and trying to uh, do some more courses online uh because that serves me well because we live so far from everything that online really does work for me it's a blessing yes yeah you have a lot on your plate right now um i think i have always life it's like huh I've always had, I feel like I've always had, and sometimes I'm like, I need to have less and less and less, but it's really hard when, you know, there's so much to do, you know, especially yeah. when it comes to the animals, um, to the dogs and the cats, it's, it's a big problem here. You probably know, but in the city, you see it much less in the you countryside. Because they get uh, rescued and also uh, they take them away, but yeah. I know what you mean. Yes. Yeah. No, here is nuts. And and so because people are not educated. And the thing that frustrates me the most is that I, I've been to the GNR and I proposed working together as a volunteer. And I prepared this document to try basically to put in all the freguesias and all the parishes and allow people to understand when you have a dog or a cat, the first important steps you have to take care on of, which is making sure they're neutered so they don't have more offsprings because nobody can look after them chipping because then we can find you if they get lost and it doesn't become another abandoned animal or lost animal that then ends up either with a family like us who i'm overwhelmed now with too many or that lands up in uh in the kennel and you know after a while it's they have to put they have to put them down because they don't have space that's you know that's not right and the GNR never go back to me. This is after I spoke to the captain oh, yeah. of them here. But I also learned, you know, I interviewed somebody actually, there's an episode after before this that um that has come out that I interviewed a one of the vigilanza vigilantes de natureza, so the rangers. Mm -hmm. I thought the rangers were a not for profit. Actually, they are a, a government agency. Um and they told me that the only reason that GNR has an environment sector, really, it's not because they really know what to do, because that would have been, they should have stayed with the vigilantes. It's, it's politics and finances, right? But quite honestly, they don't care. And I don't know if it's through the whole country. I'm going to speak only from my, my experience here. Yeah, course, they're right? basically a department of the police that was, you know, assigned that the environmental. I don't know a lot about this stuff, but this is what I know. Uh, and so assigned different parts of um, the 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 community, but nowadays their their function is very much like uh, the police. You know, it's so unfortunately, I don't think they're the institution you should go to unless. You know. Well, but the thing is that, you know, and this is the thing, I need to really navigate who we're going to talk to because... Um, There's the uh, Sociedad Protetora dos Animais, uh, the society that uh, protects the animals, so... Are they also government or they're not-for-profit? 
I think they're not for profit. I can't, you know, don't quote me on that, but yeah. um, th they are the ones who usually do something when you make a complaint. So I love to talk. Yeah, I mean, it's more about the complaint. It's really the system is not working. How can we make the system work better? It's really that. And I don't know if they can do something because this would require going to talk to the municipality. Where I am, the municipality doesn't care. They don't even care about cleaning the trash on the Ecovia, which is the beautiful route they created alongside the, 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 um, the river, right? And there's plastic everywhere, paper everywhere. People are just awful. Like they don't. I don't know if people are raised in a barn. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. Yeah, like I. Unfortunately, I do think that things will might change in the future. But this is the outcome of a lot of, um, yeah, corruption and uh, not you know the, the 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 fact that people get into power. They don't necessarily want to make anything better they just want to be in power you know yeah so. yeah this is why it would be really good to create an alternative system um and th this to me is the only solution this to me is the only way like actually getting people together and do this constructive educational activism where we go and educate the different freguesias about what to do where we go and talk to people and and say hey uh, we're gonna check if your dog is chipped if it's not we can make an appointment with the municipality, you know, vet because they do have it. It's just that they don't promote it because obviously they don't want to. They don't want to pay, right? So they're like, yeah. oh, "It's here." I mean, you don't know about it. I mean, nobody knows about it because you don't talk about it. But it should be promoted because you want people to make sure that their dogs and cats are neutered so that they don't have a million dogs and cats. So, um, all these things are important. I feel like. We need to have this alternative system because ultimately the, the truth is only even people that are complaining about it or they feel sorry, if they don't do anything, they don't, they're not really supporting, they're not really solving the problem. Like you're complaining, but you're complaining to people that are already doing something like me. I cannot take a million more dogs and cats. Can. Yeah. And so I wish I could, I really wish I could, I would, but I, I, I don't, I can't. And um, although I'm trying to look if maybe I'll organize a, I'll, I'll open an associ association or maybe because I will, my dream is to open a sanctuary but I found out there's so many I was going to ask you about that because yeah <laughs> so that that is the project in one of the projects but it, it at the beginning I just made it very simplistic in my head because I didn't know what the rules and regulations are and Apparently, it's really not as straightforward because that's the one time that the JNR will show up at your house and see if you actually have everything in order, right? Like, do you have enough kennels? <sighs> so I'm thinking that I need to join a sanctuary, support them, and try to work together. So I'm looking to see what's available uh, that is open to new beings coming in so that we can raise the funds to support and so on and so forth. They already have the infrastructure. They already had all the checks because also infrastructure is very expensive to build. Uh, it's not just the fencing, there is a lot more to do. So yeah, it's uh, it's been a learning curve because I really was, like last year I started a GoFundMe campaign, but you, the money we raised, that was just over a thousand euro. Um, it really was like enough for food, just to cover for food for seven, six dogs and then now seven. It's that expensive. And then getting quotes from people to build fencing and getting kennels, 
you're talking upwards of 50,000. So right. it's not just with all the medical care that they need and the vets. And I have a lot of good relationships with a few vets. And one of them is, is in Braga and he's amazing. He always helps financially. He always gives me discounts, but of course he can work for free. You know, he has a clinic like, so I get it. And it's really hard to find vets that would even do discounts. Um, so it's, um, it's definitely something that needs a lot more attention, a lot more support. Um, I know the government sometimes gives money to foundations to do, for example, the neutering, so they will pay for the, the vet bills. Um, so, you know, joining a foundation that is already implemented, that is also a good thing because then it's quicker. Because then the other thing, here everything is bureaucratic and takes forever. It can take months, if not years, and the animals don't have that time. You know, I'm talking about, and I'm, I'm talking about dogs and cats specifically right now, but I, oh, animals. But yeah, of course. Yeah. So, so there is definitely all this work to do. So this is the, that's my driver. You know, everything I do, quite honestly, every a little bit of money that I make, it goes towards the dogs right now, like everything, because they, I, I just don't feel that it's really. It's not right that we as humans have taken wolves and manipulated them genetically to make them domesticated and different breeds and to have dogs, companions. And then now we abandon them and we're like, yeah. tough. Hey, they wouldn't even be here if we didn't do it, if we didn't domesticate them. Some breeds wouldn't even exist. If you come to the city, you don't see a lot of stray dogs. You see no. a lot of stray cats, but not a lot of... And cats is another thing, especially because they do multiply even more than than dogs, and they need to be spaded because they get sick very quickly. They're very delicate they animals. They get sicker than than dogs, dogs. do. It's, yeah. it's very sad. It's yeah. very. And then sad. they're just left, and and those also they have more diseases that I think are transmittable to humans. You know, so you have to just be aware of these things. And be mindful that we have a responsibility to look after our environment, everything that is in our environment, you know. And and I'm also saying looking after other humans, um, but us together, we are. If we are on top of this food chain, we always talk about. Then hey, we have to look after everything. We look after nothing. We are like the biggest destroyers most of the time. That's really sad. Yeah. So that's really what it's been. <laughs> What a journey. Yeah, and I you're a force of nature. I admire <laughs> your journey. No, seriously, it's uh it's incredible the the journey you've taken from the financial industry to this uh lifestyle that you now lead and uh you know, sharing all that with all the community around you and yeah, I, incredible. What an no, what a journey. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you know, I, I always tell people, and I think this stems from having had a lot of traumas as a child, um, that I think you can very easily dissociate from those traumas and not connect to them at all for a very long time. And then, you know, they manifest, like for me, they manifested in eating disorders, self-hate, my behavior being shocking in my early adulthood. Uh, carelessness could be reckless. I mean, I, I definitely have hurt other people with my behavior, you know, selfish. There are so many things that come. And then at some point in your life, what for me, the, 
the trigger must have been the help, but it's um you've you come face to face with the image of yourself that you really don't like. And it's not the physical stuff. Like the physical stuff is there, but it's because you really look at yourself and you think, I'm a piece of work. Like I really need so much help and I need to really put it together and I need to take responsibility because that's not okay. Like I'm I'm not okay. And and I think when you start healing those parts, and as I said earlier, it's never ended. It's not it's always a work in progress because new stuff comes up. Like especially when you do regression, like either I do meditation, I do ancestral healing. Like I do so many alternative things to really go back into my childhood where everything happened. I even went into ancestral, like in the traumas of my mother, my grandmother. I actually have an um yeah, there's a there's an episode about that. Uh, as we are recording, will come next week. But when this is out, it will be it would have been out already. That is all about healing not being linear, growth and healing not being linear. And it's not; it's never linear. But when you look at these things and you face yourself, you have to accept that trauma, and then you have to work through it. And it's not always the easiest thing. But I think for me, I had two options: either I become like my mother, who is stuck in victimhood. She, and I, you know, I know she has moments where she really understands that she understands where it comes from, and I think she understands that she that she doesn't she's not she's not doing everything right. But I think if you are stuck in victimhood, you never take the steps to really make those changes. That's the hardest work. Changing is the hardest thing you can ever do. Because your ego is holding on tight, even to the to take responsibility. Yeah. First. Yeah. You have to take responsibility and be like, I'm ready to change. And the ego is going to fight back, you know, because like, I don't care that that's the most fucked up type, like side of you. I, I, this is all I know. I'm not letting go of this, but you're not happy. You're stuck in such a low vibration. You're stuck in blaming everybody. You're stuck in making the same choices all the time. And then wondering why your life is not working out the way you want it, or if you're just, you settle and then you know that you're not fulfilled. I just couldn't live that way. I just think, again, if spirit is talking to you, if you're connecting to the higher source, you you just can't live a life that is mediocre, you know? You just can't. It It doesn't flow. And so for me, that's really what it was like. Okay, I I had a shitty Life childhood. Life is so short. the The yeah. time you have here is so, so short. short. And, yeah. Uh, in the end, what's gonna matter is not the things that you didn't do, but uh, it's not the the things that you tried and failed. It's the things that you didn't try. Or the things you did consistently wrong because you were in a shitty place. Yeah, because you never tried to make a change and try a a different way. Or, you know, like if you're not happy, uh, feelings are, you know, like it's an evolutionary uh, mechanism to let you know that you're not going in in a direction that is, you know, uh, beneficial to you. Yeah, I agree. So... One of the things that I, yeah, I, I think that was the choice. I can either uh, just dwell in self-pity and behave the way I want and what I, you know, selfishly because, because, 
because I, well, I was hurt as a child or I had trauma as a child or it's my parents' fault or you take responsibility. Um, but I think, you know, at the core of things, I actually do care about people. Like I, re- I do care about others. And I had to learn how to put boundaries that I care and I want to help. But mm-hmm. just like I have to take responsibility, others have to take responsibility because ultimately I'm only here to guide and to educate you have to take the steps because I have to take the steps. Like everybody has to take the steps. So that was my choice. And so when it all came together and as you're healing, you're like, I don't want to, I'm not even doing it for me anymore. I'm doing it for the animals. I'm doing it for other people. I would love, I really would love, I really envision the right people coming together, whether it's physically at some point in a real village or any, anyway, online or whatever, whatever it manifests as, you know, can be different hubs. But I think people that really work on those things are coming together because I know there's big movement of these, you know, the the hippie crowd. I don't want to say hippie because it always sounds like I'm, I'm criticizing and I'm not because, you know, nothing wrong with that. Yeah, I know what you mean. But, you know, like the, 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 the new age, oh, cool, everything is great. That is that movement. But that movement, I have noticed that there's a lot of unsolved issues in because... You cannot let go of trauma by letting it go without facing it. You have to face it. Sure, you can do some psychedelics and you can travel and meet your higher self and talk about it. I don't know, whatever experience people can have, but it needs to be raw. Like you need to feel everything to process it because you need to integrate that trauma that you're letting go of and be like, I'm talking to my child self and be like my inner child and I know how you feel. Because how you feeling has literally dictated everything I did in my adult life. But I got you. You can let go because now I have you and we are going to make better choices because you protect it. You don't have to have your tantrums anymore. You don't have to be kicking a fuss about everything. You don't have to protect yourself about everything. That child is going to be resistant because that's his coping, her coping mechanism. In my case, I'm she, a coping, her coping mechanism but eventually you have to be the adult who takes responsibility and makes better choices. Sometimes you make a mistake, you go back and you fix it, which you maybe couldn't do before, right? Like those are the things that I've seen, the patterns I've seen. And and then I'm like, great. And so now I can do good work for others because that's what it's all about. And really every day becomes better. Not perfect. Sometimes I still react and it's not great. And then I have to go back and think about it. Um, but yeah, it's been, it's great. (laughs) A lot of projects. And I understand what you mean about the difference between what you want to create and, and, you know, the quote unquote hippie communities that that you've seen in the past. But, uh, I also, yeah, I also think that there is now a, a big distinction between, like even within the hippie communities, there's people who went in one direction and there's people going mm. in another. So yeah, there's like, that's a very big, a very large uh, movement that has. And to be honest, I think a lot of the people that I'm thinking about coming together are probably from stem from that because there are people that really want to, they are like doing the avoidance happiness. And then the people are like, I'm going to just face the shadow and deal with it. And then I'm going to grow from it and I'm going to become better, which means wait we're never gonna be holier than thou by doing the things that we do we never like we're never perfect never ever ever but as i said we i can teach something and then i'm gonna learn something 
you know, even with my clients, as I teach, they teach me because I haven't lived their experience. And when they're sharing something, I'm just like, whoa, yeah, okay. You handled that really well. Or if you haven't handled it well, I can see why you didn't handle it well. Let's work on handling it together or getting those tools that we have and how to use them for your situation. They make a massive difference because you learn. And this is why I love the the circles, you know, with many people, because that when everybody shares, it's like, wow. And then also you don't feel alone. And then you know that everybody's growing and healing is not like you are a messed up child of a... Yeah, and that's why I think, you know, physical, like physical communities. I know nicer. communities are, are important, but... And what a major difference they've made in our lives. But uh, being with per- people in person, there, there's something... Yeah, powerful. There's, yeah, very powerful about so that. Powerful. And the hugs, you know, giving a hug to someone that is next to you and is sharing her heartbreaking story and saying, I want to heal from this or I healed from this. And you give them a hug and you exchange compassion. It's magic. It is magic. It's incredible. It's like the most powerful thing. And so, you know, I'm having goosebumps just thinking about it. I haven't hugged anybody in forever. (laughs) So it's like, okay, you know, it's, it's nice. And yeah, that's all. Like that's really what it's about. I mean, I remember in two thousand and four, my when I used to go to the homeopath, the, um, there was a therapist there that was doing the quantum machine, which is like a resonance machine that checks your resonance in your body to see if yeah parasites they have a certain vibration. It's like similar to Rife, um, and um, and she used to say to me, the yeah, people really need touch. People are not getting, they're not touching anyone. This is 2004. Can you imagine? It's like 20 years ago. Yeah. She was saying people That's are not pre-COVID. touching. That's pre-COVID. Imagine post-COVID. Yeah. And when I look back and I think about what she was saying, she was so right. People were becoming more and more detached, slowly, slowly. But I don't think she envisaged what it would become, especially as we get more attached to our technology, or not even attached, but probably dependent on it. That dependence is shifting our connection to other human beings. So people are not touching anymore. And and that's really being terrible for our health overall. A hug is powerful. Um, a kiss on the cheek or forehead or whatever. Yeah, unless you're being touched by someone you don't. <laughs> yeah, I mean, not inappropriately. I'm just saying like in a group of friends in the same space. <laughs> no, if somebody touches you inappropriately, you kick him in the balls. Like, I'm sorry. <laughs> You know, you know, or if it's a woman, I don't know, some other way. But um, you know, you I'm talking about having that community or like or going for a massage and actually really getting to trust your, your therapist and be like, of course, you no, know, give me your energy. Like you get energy when somebody gives you a massage. Even animals so, heal when you, you animals. Know. Oh my god. The oxytocin I get from touching my dogs. Life I mean, I think the only reason I don't have cancer is my animals, I'll be honest. And and probably the other the other way around too, you know. Like you can yeah. you can see the difference in an animal when he's rescued or you know. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. That's why you know that's exactly what exactly what I was saying about Daisy because she she just needs 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 needs, and she will thrive when she finds somebody that has one hundred percent attention just for her. You know, I know. Yeah. And one. Yeah, she's probably one of the, she can help people who also need uh, 100% attention because yeah. that's, 
she's focused on on the owner so. yeah yeah she's a total lover <laughs> hopefully you'll find a, a home for her soon yeah otherwise she's gonna sharing. adapt to your environment and then she's gonna miss you a lot I know, and it's gonna be heartbreaking. But I, and I wish I could say we could keep her. But as my husband says, if you want, if it wasn't for you, we would have a hundred dogs, and it's true. So I need to be mindful because there are dogs that will need help again, and so I need to make sure that I rehome them. You know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you. I mean, thank you for the opportunity, and I loved hearing your story. I mean, I already admired you, but now I have even more. You know. Um, oh. Yeah. You're getting a hug when we meet. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully soon. Yeah. Thanks okay. so much, Joanna. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Well, thanks everyone for staying on for this episode. And Joanna, thank you for interviewing me. That was so much fun. And I hope everybody really got a lot out of it. And if you guys have any questions, if you want to learn more about what I do and how I work with people uh, in group sessions, I have an inner circle that is just for women. Get in touch with me. I'm happy to talk to you. And also for my classes, if you want to join. Or as I said at the beginning, Ecodarma Village is open for the summer. So if you want to join us for a stay or events, let me know and we'll be really happy to have you here. Talk to you soon. Bye.